This is Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm Dr. Celine Galgich, and I'm a clinical psychologist who works extensively with OCD. And I'm Dr. Victoria Miller, but you can call me Tori. And I'm a clinical psychologist who works with young people, including those with OCD. Through our shared professional experience, we've found that effective treatment of OCD requires commitment, creativity, and the recognition that things can sometimes get a little messy. They sure can. We want to empower clinicians to be able to work with their patients in new ways to treat OCD with confidence. Welcome to part two of our chat with Penny and Rosie from SoOCD.com.au. In case you missed part one, Penny Moody and Rosie Frankish are the co-founders of the amazing website resource SoOCD.com.au. Penny Moody is an OCD advocate and is currently writing a book about OCD. She has a background in media and communications and is currently studying a social work degree. Our second guest for today, Rosie Frankish, has a background in psychology and works in the community mental health sector. Since 2012, Rosie has worked in multiple direct service and leadership roles in the mental health sector, including the development and delivery of specialist mental health and homelessness programs currently delivered across Victoria. Rosie is committed to providing effective services to people who are marginalised in our community and feels grateful to have the opportunity to share in people's experiences. In part two of our episode, we talk with Penny and Rosie about family support particularly what they believe family members need while supporting their loved one through treatment. We also have a really interesting discussion about the things that family members would benefit from knowing about what it's like to live with OCD. Let's get started. Finding support from clinicians is one thing, but then also trying to navigate that with loved ones is like a whole nother kettle of fish, right? So we just thought we'd spend a little bit of time because we often also get asked, well, how can I help my client's loved ones with this as well? Like what would be helpful and and unhelpful? So we thought we'd spend a, a little while also just chatting about what your experience is in terms of what have you found to be helpful just amongst your own family, partners, friends, etc., in navigating this process and what you're really wanting from your loved ones as well? Yeah, absolutely. I know from my personal experience, I've been really fortunate with my family and friends in that they've been really supportive of my diagnosis of OCD and really engaged in kind of supporting me with that. So I recognise that I'm speaking from a place of privilege on that and not all people get that. So I totally recognise that. I think what helps is I think we've talked about having resources to be able to draw upon, to be able to share with family members if they want that. But I think also what's really important is to, like a psychologist to speak with you about what are the boundaries about what you want to share and what you don't want to share. Because I think for me, there are certain things that I just felt like at whatever point in time when I was sharing with my family or friends, you know, what is it that I feel comfortable sharing? What needs to be said? And what are the parameters of that? And even being able to sort of even role play that if that helps, if you're feeling really nervous about that. You know, I was really nervous about telling my parents because, of course, I was so worried about how they're going to feel and are they going to 
be worried and what impact is that going to have on them? Of course, they're amazing. But you know that as soon as you give this information, there's a level of questioning and things that people want to know. They, they want to know that you're going to be okay and they want to know what the trajectory is essentially. So I think being able to speak to clients about that, if they are you know, going to chat to family members, to set up that conversation well. I think the other thing is, you know, with relation, like romantic relationships, it can be really hard too, particularly for people with relationship-focused OCD and, like, I can relate to that as well where that's I've really struggled with that. So whether a partner is willing to perhaps go to a psychology session with you and for the person, your partner, to then speak with your psychologist and understand what OCD is and also importantly how that presents for you because OCD is so variable for everybody there are so many subtypes of OCD so much that we don't know about OCD but I think you know there's just quite a sort of a myth about how it might present around like contamination or order which of course happens but you know it's much broader than that so welcoming and opening that conversation with partners is also helpful because or family members with your psychologist because I also think there's a huge amount of pressure that can be on the person like I felt a huge level of responsibility and hyper responsibility is one of the things I struggled with with my OCD around needing to get this information right so taking that responsibility away also can be helpful yeah how about for you Penny the most helpful thing I did for myself and my husband was to have a, a session, a joint session with my psychologist. And this was years ago. I tried to explain it to him, but I, you know, I'd struggled. And what I'd done a few years prior to that was give him a book, The Man Who Couldn't Stop by David Adam, which I found to be a really great book for me. And I sort of was like, oh, he read this to help you understand and and he did and it was really helpful but it wasn't until we both went and had a session with my psychologist so like Rosie said she could explain more generally what OCD was but she could also kind of take him through the different stages of my OCD throughout my life and explain it to him you know a pretty detached way like it wasn't fully if it was me explaining it, it would just be very emotional and was able to explain it to him in a really clear way and also have a really safe space for him to be able to ask questions about things that he didn't understand and it just it just felt like it took a load off like you were saying Rosie off me to actually have to do that because it can be a really hard thing to explain to someone especially when as you mentioned you know relationship OCD can be part of it it can make things even more complicated. So clinicians can be helpful there by actually offering that actually having a conversation with their clients about who they want to disclose to, how they want to do that, what that process could look like, but then offering to be a part of that process if uh, their client would like them to be. Yeah, and I don't know how I don't know what the common practice is for psychologists and including other people in sessions, but I know for me it was really really helpful and I know for others as well. Just knowing that it's an option. Yeah, that's true Penny because like I think what you just brought up for me then is asking Again, like don't, if somebody, because someone might, if they're quite early in their sort of treatment, might just say, no, I'm not ready to talk to people about it. But I think it's important to like revisit that conversation as a clinician at a later point, you know, like maybe in six months or something, 
because people could say yes and they could change their mind. They could be in a different place and it could be really transformative for that person but also the whole family and the relationships around them. Like I remember feeling a huge sense of relief when I knew that my friends and family knew what was going on for me. Whilst you're treating the individual, individuals are not insular, like we're part of communities, you know, like lots of things. So being able to embrace the broader network is really important for treating the person, in my experience. No, I I agree. Yeah. Are there things, um, advice you'd give to families about what's not helpful? I mean, I know it's going to be personal to each individual, but or um, advice to clinicians about what's not helpful when, when working with families and loved ones? Oh, that'd be a whole list of things in there. I think <laughs> that's probably that's another episode. <laughs> I think, and this is really hard, but the obvious one is giving too much reassurance and not trying to feed into the cycle. It's really hard, especially if you with OCD like it's you know I used to go to my mum multiple times a day for years to try to seek reassurance and this wasn't obvious to anyone it was OCD and so she would just see this little kid in distress and want to take away her anxiety and so she'd help me help me talk through it work through it didn't matter what time of day or night she'd do it and that was coming from such a place of love and care but I think once you once you know it's OCD and once you can realise that you've actually got to try to step back from that kind of reassurance, whether you're a parent or a partner or a friend or even a teacher, whatever, just trying to gently step back from that and still really recognise what's going on and, and have a lot of empathy for that person and say, look, I can see that you're wanting reassurance right now um, and sort of trying to I think teach them a way to sort of explain, like, I can see what's happening. If I give reassurance, it's actually not going to be helpful. What are some other things we can do together to try to get your mind off it or whatever? It's a, it's a really hard one and I don't, don't envy anyone in that position, but really trying to learn how to step away from that, you know, feeding that that reassurance cycle I think is probably the most helpful. I have a family member with OCD and I remember for years yeah, you can eat that. Yeah. No, I ch- check the use by date. I swear. That's fine. Look, I'll eat it first. I did it for years and now I look back knowing what I know now and I just think, oh, man, that was not helpful. But I didn't know. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be doing it. You're not to know. I'm part of group therapy and it's this group of women who we, we've sort of known each other quite a long time now and we've got a WhatsApp group and even now after years and we still do sessions with our psychologists as well as a group but still fall into that trap of like someone messaging oh this is going on for me um reassure me (laughs) (laughs) my favorite sentences are when they come and they're like like pretty sure this isn't reassurance but (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like "Mm -hmm." (laughs) okay I'm pretty sure I do it to Penny all the time (laughs) what advice would you give Rosie what do you think people try that what pitfalls can they try to avoid I mean there are so many obvious things as Penny said of things that can be detrimental but I think one of the big things for loved ones is Like if someone has disclosed to you that they have OCD, 
it's also okay to talk about it. Like I think sometimes with a lot of diagnoses of particularly mental ill health, there's kind of this taboo of, oh, well, I'm not going to talk about it because it's sensitive. But in actual fact, I think that can really increase the shame for people with their experience of any condition. But for myself, you know, of OCD, it's kind of like if you've shared your experience with a loved one, I think it's important for then your loved one to be able to ascertain you know, and ask you, like, do you want me to talk about this with you or do you want me to check in with you about this or do you feel comfortable for me to share with other people that this is happening for you in a respectful way? You know, of course there needs to be parameters and consent around those things, but I think sometimes, like, I know that I have felt that people know that I've got OCD but, like, do they not want to bring it up or not, you know, think that, like, oh, am I going to trigger Rosie by talking about this or, oh, it's this big scary thing, like, whereas I'm like, let's bloody talk about it. It's so important for the person because it normalises it. It's like, yeah, I've got OCD, but I'm also still just Rosie. Like, I'm a person, I work, I do all these things, and it's just, it's not me, it's a part of me. And the same as if I had asthma or if I had whatever, like it kind of just becomes this big thing that people don't want to talk about or bring up. So just being courageous in actually saying to the person, do you want to talk about this? And like feeling safe to do that is really important, I think. In my experience anyway, I can't speak for anyone else, but someone asking me about my OCD will never trigger it. Like you say, Rosie, it's you know, vulnerability will certainly help with getting rid of shame and it can be really hard to start it yourself. So talking about it can be really, really healing, I think, and like you say, can really normalise it. So I think that's spot on. I tell you what, listening to this conversation, I know we're sort of looking through the lens of clinicians, but I can't help but just be swung back to my younger self and wishing that I'd had you two to listen to when my sister was diagnosed all those years ago. I could have really used this advice. (laughs) going to be helpful for everybody. Yeah, so grateful to be hearing this from you. On that unintentional segue, <laughs> we have a couple of questions that we ask all of our guests. The first one is, what do you know now that you wish you'd known earlier? I think for me it's like I wish I knew, you know, as a seven-year-old me, I wish how many other people were struggling with, you know, the same throughout my whole life. Like it wasn't until I was 31 that I even just met someone else who had OCD and was able to talk to them about it. And that was the most healing experience for me was to be this person who was really just looked like a really normal, lovely person who had gone through very similar stuff. So just knowing that there's a lot of people out there who are in the same boat and you might be experiencing it differently, but just knowing that you're not alone in it. For me, I wish I'd have known that just because I was thinking certain things, it didn't make me a bad person because I think that that rhetoric that I told myself, you know, every day, which was probably as a result of OCD, just challenged me so much and just got so consumed in that. So I guess, you know, as Penny just really importantly pointed out before about that thought, action fusion stuff 
I wish I knew that my thoughts, they don't determine who you are as a person. They're not going to determine what you're likely to even do. They're just thoughts. Thoughts are just thoughts. We have so many of them and, you know, we just place, well, I do personally, now I know why, place so much importance on them. So I wish I'd known that earlier. Like I've been thinking a lot about that with my kids as well. My oldest is six and it's like how do you try to teach them this? Like how do you sort of get that concept across that like thoughts are just thoughts? They're not right. They're not wrong. They just are. Like I'm, I'm really hopeful that that's something that might be learnt at a younger age because it's due to a lot of suffering. Yeah, I agree. Conversations like that don't have to be exclusive to treatment of OCD, do they? I've had the same thought myself, Penny, about my girls and wondering how do I help them navigate this? So the other thing that we like to do is to normalise intrusive thoughts because we all get them. (laughs) And you guys have mentioned a couple along the way, but in the interest of just continuing to normalise that process, would you guys be willing to share an intrusive thought that pops up for you? I mean, they've changed over time, my intrusive thoughts, but some of them are harm thoughts that I have, like intrusive thoughts that are harm thoughts, which I know I'd never act upon, but they can be quite distressing. And those harm thoughts generally me, unfortunately, come at night time when, you know, the world is quiet and it's like the perfect time to start thinking about 50 billion things that nonsensical and so then I've got a physical compulsion that goes along with that in that I have to touch wood in order for those harm thoughts to dissipate or for those thoughts for whoever I'm focusing on with those harm thoughts for that not to happen to that person and to mean that no I don't really want that to happen to that person so that still goes on for me. I've also had intrusive thoughts as I say about my moral scrupulosity and being a bad person so getting thoughts about just that like I'm I'm a terrible person I remember when it was really bad I would have intrusive thoughts I remember saying to my best friend maybe deep down I am just a terrible person and all of these things that I'm doing are just a mask for being existing in the world those types of thoughts and as I mentioned before intrusive thoughts around relationships mainly romantic relationships as well Total compassion for anyone out there who is also experiencing those. Thank you for sharing. Penny, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm just thinking something that is, I guess, a little bit timely for me is like I've recently had a baby and my first two I found like pregnancy to be quite an okay time for me but then the period after having them quite a bad time for my OCD. You know, you've got hormones spiking, you've got no sleep, you've got stress all sorts of stuff and I found with my most recent baby I went through quite a an intense period of being just really paranoid that I might have caused him to have some sort of neurological disorder because of the medication I was taking and I started to get really just in this real obsessive loop around like oh is he meeting his milestones and this is when he was like five weeks you know and oh, is he smiling? Is he like, is he meeting these criteria? I'd never really had this before with my other two and it was really quite confronting. And I would 
be so sneaky with trying to get reassurances from my husband and it wouldn't help obviously and I was just I was so lucky to be able to see a psychologist regularly like very very lucky to be able to do that and I know so many people aren't being able to see or sort of get help when they need it at the moment but that was like a real recent one for me and then also in previous years like I've you know I've gone through stages of just being really okay for a while and then I'll fall into a really deep dark hole and a little while ago I went into a really bad one around the Barlow CD I just want to mention that because it's it just has to be talked about last things that I ever wanted to do and that I ever wanted to think about but that's why it was so shocking to me and like going into really really dark place um, and again really lucky to be able to talk to a psychologist about it and getting out of it but I think that can also be quite common for people who have recently had kids because like I said it's the last thing you'd want on your mind so it's going to be the thing that plagues you so that's been really difficult as well. And there's a huge sense of responsibility that kicks in for new parents as well because you're now responsible completely for this tiny little human that's absolutely dependent on you you know, your protective instincts kick in and all that sort of stuff as well. And we know OCD plays on your value system. So the thing that it's going to do is be like, oh, I can sink my teeth into this. This is what you care about. Let's go there and take you to all sorts of dark and awful places. Such a vulnerable time. I was just going to say, Penny just flagged something for me, which I think is really important, is that like as you were talking about that experience with your new baby pen, like I think one of the things about OCD is that like a lot of the things like that I've learned for myself or other people might be experiencing obsessions around are things that are actually like quite common day-to-day things. And so it's so hard to actually separate what is OCD and what is just a typical life experience. You know, like you were saying, Pen, like, it's so natural. It almost like gets drilled into you, I think. I don't have kids, but like my friends and siblings who have kids, it's like you need to look at these milestones and they need to be doing this by this point. So like new parents, like it's kind of this expectation that they're focusing on in on all of these things. So it's so hard to then know. Where to draw the line. Yeah, where do you draw the line? And that's where a real definition will come in because they'll be like, this is OCD and, you know. This is where the line sits. Yeah, and, and yes, it's okay to worry about milestones, but when you think all day, like, it's, it's not. Yeah. Totally. And I think on the other end of that as well is Celine and I have talked about how Celine, when she became a, an aunt, and for me when I became a mum, we both, we've experienced a lot of those sexualized pedophilic intrusive thoughts ourselves and just that these thoughts don't belong to people with OCD. They belong to everybody. And if you're in that position where you're caretaking for a young child, it's really normal for these sorts of thoughts to pop into your mind. And so I think it's really important that clinicians know that, that this is not something that belongs to OCD. This is part of human behavior, that thoughts like this is alarming as they can feel and disgusting and gross and uncomfortable and unwanted as they can feel that it is a really typical part of how we respond to these moments of vulnerability and responsibility that we have. And I think for people generally, not just clinicians to be aware, but I think, you know, if the community can be more accepting of like people have these types of intrusive thoughts and it doesn't make them a bad person. It doesn't mean they're going to act on those things. And also to the point of what we were saying before, like, with relationship 
OCD, like for me, a lot of that was focused around the rightness of relationships. You know, is this right? And then constantly trying to check, you know, whether this is right and going through lots of processes. Which is also a normal thought to have too, like you were saying before, right? You're like, is this working out? How do I feel about this person? What's going on here? To then take it to the excess and be thinking about it all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And as Penny said, that's where a good psychologist or clinician will come in because, of course, you'll then have the conversation with, you know, your friends or something and say, like, oh, I'm just not sure whether I'm feeling it or I'm having all these doubts. And, of course, your friend would then be like, well, that's okay. Like, you know, maybe it's not right. Maybe it's not the right relationship, which, of course, people are trying to, you know, be helpful, but it's also like, where do you draw the line with that and the importance of kind of identifying, okay, this is an OCD thought, this isn't a rosy thought. This has been marvellous. We've gone so long and I don't want to stop, but we need to. (laughs) Thank you so much to both of you for your time today. Your insights have been invaluable and I think that clinicians are going to find this really valuable. I think they're going to take a lot of this away with them and back into their work. But I think that people with OCD who are listening are going to feel incredibly validated and understood hearing you advocate for them. So thank you. Thank you both for your time. No worries. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having us and thank you for this podcast as well and spreading the word about OCD. You've been listening to Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. This podcast is brought to you by Melbourne Wellbeing Group, a psychology practice based in Melbourne with a special focus on treating OCD. To find out more, head to our website, melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. All one word, that's melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative, To make sure you don't miss an episode of Breaking the Rules, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Celine Galgetch. And I'm Tori Miller. And we'll be back next episode with more reasons to convince you to get messy. Have fun. And and break break the the rules. rules.